see uh, here it says start record. And it All right. Something blue. Yeah, I see it. What is it? I, I see stop recording black with a, a blue circle inside. Okay, and there's no clock on your. I don't see a clock. No. All right. Okay. No. Very well, well, anyway, I like. Uh, welcome. I'm, Thank you. I'm glad to meet you. This is your first call. Yeah. You're in, in Germany, um, transported from the one or the other of the Macedonias. Yeah. <laughs> True. And you have been practicing what you've been reading in books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the practice is turning in or has turned into striving or wanting or having a list of uh, attainments to attain. Yep. That's very typical of Western Buddhism. Uh, but uh, there are Zen masters that will tell you that you've already gotten it. You've already enlightened. Why are you trying to gain something that you don't have when you've already got it? Right, right. This this Zen kind of mindset of uh, nothing to do, not nowhere to be, stuff like that. Basically. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's the teaching of the Buddha. Yeah. Not the teaching of Western Dhamma books. Right. I do have one question though, um, because I've realized this over efforting in my practice uh, early on, and um, I've been trying to find the right balance, like when to give a little bit of effort and when to not give any effort at all. And I think I've also been under efforting sometimes like. Um, well, that uh, would be the way that the student would do it. That's just just like a little red riding hood. She goes to the porridge that's too hot, then she goes to the porridge that's too cold, and then she goes to the porridge that's just right. Yeah. <laughs> and we all do that. We either practice too hard or we practice not enough. That yeah. in fact, you could go so far as to say that the Mahasi Methodist practice in the West is working too hard. Mm. Some even call it hardcore dumb. Yeah, yeah, it is called like that. And then there is the other part, which could be called Vedriana, which is uh, not working enough. Just accept all the crap that you're doing. And so they're not putting enough effort down. So how to find this this balance? I mean, I've heard your advice of like taking a deep deep breath, relax, everything's okay, everything is fine. Um, this is when there is over efforting, but like what to do when there is under efforting? When my awareness well, gets kind of fuzzy or something. Well, it's not that your awareness gets fuzzy, it's is that you're bringing fuzzy thoughts into the mind. Mm. And you're not guarding the mind to keep the fuzzy thoughts out. I see. Um, All it has to do then with one's right effort is the right effort of having in the beginning one's right effort is just to have some thoughts. Right from the very beginning, the right effort is to throw the unwholesome thoughts out of the mind and bring wholesome thoughts into the mind. 
right. right? And the thoughts that are worth having in the beginner's mind. See, here's here's the thing that what is an unwholesome thought is easily defined when they are totally easily to be seen as unwholesome. Mm -hmm. But what is absolutely all the time wholesome is a little bit more difficult to see. And then there's a huge, huge gray area in between of sometimes they're wholesome and sometimes they're not. And we have to then have even more discernment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the way that we can see that what is surely an unwholesome thought are thoughts of um, greed, wanting something, that in fact, this is also one of the things that's called a hindrance. So if you want something like some attainment, if you want something like some feeling, if you want something uh, like some concept like jhana mm. or enlightenment, or nirvana, anything that you want should be a sure sign that you're in a state of wanting. Yeah. Okay. And that possibly the better way to start this is to understand it completely from the top down. Mm -hmm. In the sense, the Buddha said that he only teaches one thing. Dukkha, Dukkha, Niroda. Dukkha, Dukkha, Niroda is the yeah. only thing that the Buddha said that he taught. And when we get off that topic, then we're out of the noble Dhamma into the ordinary world. Mm. But Dukkha Dukkha Naroda is in fact the noble Dhamma in the sense of being able to see what is unwholesome, what is unsatisfying, what is Dukkha, and then take the effort to throw that out or avoid it or to step aside. Right into a state of uh, satisfaction. If we can define then uh, dukkha as being unsatisfactory, then satisfactory is dukkha naroda. And so what we need then to practice is the practice of becoming wholesome by getting our mind into a wholesome state means that now we're satisfied. And we have to understand that satisfaction is satisfaction. It's like uh, a girl who is pregnant is either pregnant or she's not pregnant. She could have been, been pregnant and miscarried. Okay. Or something. But for a while, she's pregnant, and she's pregnant in the beginning, she's pregnant in the middle, and she's pregnant in the end until delivery time, and now she's not pregnant. Okay. The same thing can be said for satisfaction, that you're either satisfied a little bit and a little dabble do you, and then you're satisfied, or you can be satisfied as the satisfaction grows. But if you've got satisfaction and it's not satisfying enough, that is not being satisfied. Okay, so I'm not being satisfied with the under everything as well. So. The whole point then of taking the right effort is, is that you can see that the right effort that you have immediately a half a second ago uh, is actually working. Then you've taken the right effort mm. because you were satisfied with the results of the right effort that you took. Okay. So let's look at this in the sense of a balance point 
and that imagine that there was a, uh, let us say, the road that you live on or the highway, and you're standing out in the road for some reason or another, and a big truck, big lorry, comes barreling down on you, honking his horn. Now, there's several things that you can do about that. One of them is to be the Popeye, the the uh, the hardcore meditator, the uh, 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 taking the, uh, the can of spinach called noting and stand up to that truck with your fist out and try to stop it. And you get run over. <laughs> the other one is the Vedriana of that you see the truck coming and then you just stand there and let it run over you. Choiceless awareness. But there is the third option, which is the noble right effort of just stand aside and let it pass. Don't resist it, don't fight it, just let it pass. Don't don't fight it and don't ignore it, Mm. but you have to do something to get out of its way, which means to change the object that's in the mind right now and let that truck pass into the past. Let that unwholesome thought go and put in a new wholesome thought. And the new wholesome thought would be, well, how do we know what's a wholesome thought? Well, anything that has to do with what actually is right here, right now, is much more likely to be wholesome than if you're thinking about something in the past or something someplace else. If you're thinking about something someplace else, and that's probably because you want something someplace else, and you've got to now go go to that someplace else so that you can get what you want. Right? And so a wholesome thought is more likely to be wholesome if it's right here, right now. So when we're thinking about what's happening right here, right now, then you're much more likely to be out of the hindrances. And that when we're thinking about what's here, right here, right now, we're generally not worried. Normally, we're worried about something that happened or something that's about to happen or worried about something that's happening someplace else. But when you're just sitting here, there's no worries. There's no, there, everything is safe and secure right here. And so if we're thinking about right here, we can actually see the absence of danger. And this is one of the wholesome things that we can say. Right to now, there's no danger. Right now, there's no, there's no snakes on the floor. There's no alligators. There's no crocodiles. There's no uh, boogeymen in the closet. There's no uh, uh, adult yelling at us, telling us what to do. That we're just sitting here. Is it that marvelous? that we're completely free from anything that would be dangerous. That in fact, the only thing now that we have to do to stay alive is to breathe. And if you don't breathe, you're going to be dead in about three to five minutes. (laughs) Maybe even sooner. (laughs) Maybe even sooner if you don't have any skill at all. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I actually just wanted to mention that, uh, like, this advice uh, that that you're giving me now and that you've given to others, like, I've really taken to heart. Um, we just 
like taking a deep breath everything is fine i don't need this like if there is some unwholesome thought um specifically yesterday i had this uh interview and i had these very intense uh, emotions where i would get excited and start overthinking and i could immediately see like nope i don't need this i'm just gonna take a deep breath relax everything is fine when it comes it comes i don't care mm -hmm. and then it would come over and over and over again and i would do this over and over and over and over again just take a deep breath everything is fine now when the interview comes it will come so you in, have heard the uh the phrase that a, a hero dies but once mm -hmm. and a coward dies a thousand times yeah okay so in the sense of the hero it's okay to fail it's okay to fail that interview that would be the hero's death but here you are thinking about the interview before it happens exactly about <laughs> failing. yeah and so the coward is going to fail that interview many many times before the interview actually happens yeah but if you don't have it any thought about it and in fact every time that you do think about the interview you can dismiss it with oh i've got that wired i don't have to prepare everything's going to be okay anything that needed to be done has already been done and I can handle that or you fine and then we can just drop it. Yeah. No words. Okay. So the thought then of the interview would then be something that we could nourish and then dispose of. Right. It is okay to have the thought that I've got the interview coming, but the next thought should be, yeah, and it's okay. I can handle it. Everything is fine. Yeah. Never mind what's happening right now. Start again. Exactly. No, we have the thought about the interview and then we have a feeling fear exactly. and we have another thought of the interview and more fear and we're not actually then waking up to this thought, fear, thought, fear, thought, fear, samsara cycle that we get into working ourselves up. True. That's what I noticed also, like first there is the thought and immediately, like immediately after the thought, there is the feeling. And after this feeling there again, the thought comes back and this this continues. And I've been able to notice this with strong emotions and strong kind of uh, thoughts like yesterday, for example, but not so much with more subtle thoughts like um, having a conversation in your head with a colleague about some topic, for example, um, and throwing that out like it's not important who's right or who's wrong. I don't care. I don't need to think about this person, this colleague. I I just have to be um, now and enjoy the that, But this is what we would then practice while we're not in the face of the colleague. Hmm. This is the whole point about getting away from all of that stuff, getting away from it all so that we can find some peace and quiet in the reality of the environment that we're in so that now we can practice the peace and quiet on this end on the inside mm. and so seclusion is one of the primary ingredients of um, a correct practice is yeah. getting away from it all 
the Buddha gives an analogy of uh, a log and a bog. That logs get saturated and then they fall to the bottom. If a, uh, a fire maker from ancient times, if he was uh, came to that uh, log, let us say that it was just floating on the surface of the water, just barely exposed like an iceberg. Could he set that log on fire with primitive fire making equipment that a primitive, uh, let us say, professional fire maker in the time of the Buddha? They had actually people who had equipment to make fires. That mm -hmm. was their job. Now we have machines to do that for us. So we don't have to uh, uh, work so hard. So imagine that you had to work really hard to get a fire started. But you were expert at it. Could you set that log on fire? The one in the bog. Yeah, it will. It would be very, very hard, I guess. And it would not be possible. In fact, it would no. not be. You're thinking about using a blowtorch. Right. A modern piece of equipment, but in the old days, no. But what if you took the log out of the bog and put it up on the shore? Could it now be set on fire? If it's if it's dry, <laughs> I guess. No, it's still wet because you just took it out of the bog. Yeah, exactly. And so now that means that it can't. But if you leave the bog, uh, leave the log in uh, uh, up on dry land in a place that's secluded from the bog, then both sunshine and gravity will do the work for the log. So that the gravity will pull the water out the bottom of the log and the top of the log will then become dry enough for it to be uh, set on fire. Mm. This is exactly how dugout canoes are made. If I setting the top of the log on fire and then digging it out and setting more fire and more fire until you get a dugout canoe, then you can take that dugout canoe and put it back in the bog after it's dried out and hollowed out, and now it's a boat, not a log saturated with water, which means that occasionally you have to take the boat out of the water to keep it too from becoming waterlogged. Right, but these thoughts That's happen when I'm home, when I'm secluded, when I'm making lunch or something. Well, that's the time to practice. Exactly, I know this is the time to practice, but and I'm, but these thoughts are more subtle. And I'm, I'm saying, okay, they're be mindful. It, no, they're not subtle. You're just not watching. Okay. Not paying attention to what the mind is doing. This is the skill to be developed. This is sati, skill, right? This is sati, the okay. skill of remembering to look. I have questions about sati in particular. Um, in regards to uh, Anapanasati as taught by uh, Buddha Dasa, but also uh, with TMI as well. Um, like in, in TMI, sati or mindfulness as the Western term uh, is described as the optimal interaction, optimal interaction. That's one of the things that we'll have to uh, talk about on a regular yeah. basis so that you make sure that you understand exactly 90% of the problem with Western Buddhism is bad translations. <clears throat> and sati is wrongly translated into mindfulness. 
In fact, you probably never heard of mindfulness except in Buddhist context. It's almost an invented word. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And so if we use the word sati, we can use it in the sense more of wakey wakey or to wake up or to remember to be here now rather than lost in the fog of the dream state. I understand. Is either dreaming at night when you're asleep or is dreaming in the day, which we call daydreams, which means that we're not paying attention to what's happening in the present moment. So we need to wake up. Uh, my question was, is there like another component of Satya? No one component is uh, waking up to what you're uh, supposed to do. So let's say it watching the breath. Has three components. That's what I wanted to ask. I know the first component, but I feel like something is missing. I remember what I'm supposed to do, but I feel like it, it's not, it, it's kind of weak. It's uh, it's allowing stuff to pass by without noticing. You don't um, have to tell me what you believe. No, okay. <laughs> what I'm saying. Please. And that is there are three kinds of sati. One is uh, just in general to remember mm -hmm. and this is a skill that we have to practice to develop is just to remember to wake up so that would be the frequency how often can you remember to wake up the second one has to do with the intensity of the waking up all right that intensity can be seen in this regard of when you first wake up in the morning, what's the very first thing you do? I note getting up, <laughs> turning. You, you note that you're uh, conscious, that you yep. become consciously aware that you're conscious. That's yep. the waking up. But there is a whole different waking up, and that is the getting out of the bed. Hmm. So. People can wake up to the thoughts that they're in, and then they just wallow in those thoughts, knowing that they're thinking about robbing the bank or beating up the teacher or throwing the book at the author or um, going on to Reddit and trashing this, that, and the other <laughs> thing. So uh, there's, a, there's an intensity to waking, and that is to actually wake up enough to have the right effort mm. or another way of saying it is is that effort when we have very little sati or when it's not strong then it takes a lot of effort and this is for the beginners because the beginner sati is weak therefore the effort that it takes is, is strong mm. but once the sati becomes really strong the wakey wakey is a really loud wake up i mean it's actually possible for in one second from fast asleep to standing at attention. Right. So the, the eye comes. Can you wake up and get up immediately? Mm. Okay. When Duca comes along and wakes you up, can you wake up enough that you can get right up for it? That would be then an effort, a combination of the effort, right effort, and right wakefulness that you take the effort and get up immediately rather than to struggle. And you've seen how it is when you feel tired and you wake up in the morning and you say, oh, I don't really want to get up right now. And so we don't take the effort. Right. 
Okay, so that's another kind of uh, sake is how intense it is. The more intense it is, the easier it is to take the right effort. Now, the definition of right effort would be the very least amount of possible action effort to get the job actually done. <clears throat> and yet most of the people, when they're not getting the job done, they think, oh, I need more effort and I need more effort and I need more effort. And now it's a struggle. Mm. Now it's hardcore Dhamma. Because right. they're working way too hard to get something that they want. Instead of not working at all, because they've already recognized that they've got what they wanted. I see. That's the job that needs to be done is to see that the job is finished. That is done. What was the job that needed to be done? Stop thinking that there was a job to do. Exactly. To recognize <laughs> the job is finished now. Once right. the job is finished, you can relax. I see. So the first, so the second component of sati depends on the first one, where you constantly get into this kind of habit of remembering there's nothing to do, nowhere to be, and, and it, in time. And, and the strength and fruit. Yeah. It also improves with success, mm. which I'll talk about in just a moment. All right, so basically what this is, is that there's four things. One is right view. Sati, to wake up and to look. And then to take the effort <clears throat> to make a change. Now, a lot of people have the idea that they can't change it. They are who they are. Christianity promotes this big time. Original sin and all of that kind of stuff. Right? And so um, that's why they want to get forgiveness. And forgiveness is also uh, not just forgiveness for what you just did, but it's also implicit in getting forgiven again and again and again and again and keep screwing up and getting forgiveness and keep screwing up and, and getting forgiveness. That's what modern Christianity teaches, which is not at all what we need to practice, nor is that what Jesus or the Buddha were teaching. Uh, both of them talked about wakefulness, to wake up, to witness, to look at what's going on, and then to make a change. And the change then would be to coming out of the unwholesome into the wholesome. That would be one's right effort. Okay, if we then look at it this way, that those three things run and circle around each other, building up a skill, right effort, along with right sati and right investigation to keep looking, keep noting, keep watching. And that's where the Mahasi system in the West, not Mahasi himself, because Mahasi's literature talks about grabbing the object, seizing, seizing the object, the object. taking yeah. control of the object. Right. And the way that Westerners practice is, oh, ho-hum, I'm just going to note it. Mm. I'm going to note that dragon while it's swallowing me whole. <laughs> I'm going to notice that lorry as it runs right over me. The analogy of the dragon swallowing me whole, is that getting caught up in the content of the thoughts yes. and feelings? Okay. Right. The note that you are uh, thinking, 
And that, in fact, this is how then the Mahasi method sees that dukkha, dukkha, and eroda is dukkha. Oh, really? Well, let's look, look at that dukkha and see what it is. Oh, okay. I see that. Dukkha. I see it again. Then I see this dukkha related to that dukkha. Let's dig a little dig, deep, a little digger into the bottom of this. Let's go right down to the bottom of the sewer in order to clean out the sewer. That's the Mahasi method is, and they wind up being covered with their own sewage. This is the dark night of the soul. Yeah. When you're drowning in your own sewage. Or another one is that you're in your own city dump looking for all the dukkha. <laughs> but that's not the teaching of the Buddha. The teaching of the Buddha is dukkha, dukkha and eroda immediately. See the dukkha and get out of it. <laughs> See that thought and change it immediately. Exactly. It's not something that will happen in the future. It's not something that you're going to be rid of. It's not going to uh, uh, have the idea that it's going to rot away eventually. If I keep looking, it's like watching paint dry or watching a pot boil or watching the grass grow. Right? And this is the idea that if I keep watching, like in, in fact, it's my watching that makes the paint dry. It's my watching that makes the pot boil. It's my watching that makes the grass grow. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so watching in order to hope that the dukkha is going to be diminished. No. When you're watching dukkha, it's just going to get more and more and more. You're multiplying it almost intentionally, ignorantly, but intentionally making it more and more. That's why there's those phrases in the uh, 16 stages of insight that are called fear, misery, disgust, yeah. despair, and a strong desire to get out of it. If you're familiar with that document, you can see I'm listing them one after another. Yeah. Well, that's what people do before they ever start meditation. So they're just doing more of it and deeper while they're meditating. The right thing to do is when you can see enough fear, enough misery, enough uh, dissatisfaction, enough disgust, enough despair to get out of it before it gets too deep. Doesn't have to get piled higher and deeper. You don't need a PhD. Right. Just remembering to get out of it immediately when you see it. Immediately, as soon as we can catch it. Okay. Which brings upon the third quality, then, which is uh, of sati, which is directly related to the first quality, and that is the frequency. But now we're talking about it in the in the sense of speed. Mm -hmm. How quick can you wake up? Okay, so if you do wake up, frequency, but it's only a little bit as weak, then it's also going to be very slow. But if you wake up strongly, the frequency is strong, then you can have very quick response. Right. So the components build up on each other, I guess. Right. Exactly. And so this is why we call sati a skill to be developed, as well as the point of taking the right effort is a skill to be developed. In the beginning, the effort is strong because the sati is weak and the investigation skills are weak. But as those th other two things get rolling, the effort becomes easier and easier. So uh, the effort then is taken 
in the sense of two things. One is to gladden the mind. Whatever level of wholesome you're at now, you can be more a little more wholesome than that. So mm -hmm. gladdening the mind would be like a ladder of coming out of your own sewer. One step at a time, at least I'm better off now than I was before. At least I've got my head above the sewage. Now I can breathe. At least I've got my torso above uh, and I can feel the sunshine on my chest. OK, so that's the way that we look at it. Keep gladdening the mind, bringing it up out of our own mental sewer. One step at a time. That's the, uh, the stages that we're going in. And so that would be one's right effort to change the unwholesome into the wholesome. Gladdening the mind. So that's one side of the right effort. The other side of the right effort is to start changing directly the way that you breathe. Mm. So that you take the long, deep in-breaths that the, uh, that the Anapanasati Sutra calls for. But uh, and this is something also that Mahasi taught in the sense of seizing the object, falling upon the object, um, <clears throat> confronting the object. Mm -hmm. That's also to be done with the breath because it's one of the objects that we're looking for. Or one of the stages or steps of Anapanasati, and it's actually better to call them 16 objects of meditation. Right. And one of them is long, deep in-breath, and the other one is long, deep out-breath. And mm -hmm. we need sati to remember to take a long, deep breath rather than being an ordinary breath. So that seizing of the object is done with sati and with the right effort to take a more wholesome in-breath and to take a more wholesome out-breath so that we learn to control the breathing. I do have one question regarding this since... Uh... I managed to find uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's uh, Anapanasati book. So I've read through the first tetrad, I think. Okay. And um, don't make any conclusions. I'm read not making conclusions. Yeah. Make, uh, read the whole book. And in fact, it's very much later. You see, the problem with those books and actually with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, he teaches exactly the way that it's taught in the sutta. Mm. But the sutta was doing it in an organized way to make sure that the stages were understood this way by an audience who already knew the correct practice. That's not the way to teach a beginner because a beginner gets the idea that you do the first tetrad exactly. first because it's first in the book. Then you do the second tetrad second because you read uh, that second in the book, mm -hmm. et cetera, like that, to where the key, in fact, what um, in one of the books on Anapanasati is on page 213 of the book where it says, where Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa says, this is the first thing that you need to do. Practice this from the very beginning. And you've been practicing all of this months by reading the book a little slowly and doing a little bit. And then, you know, mm -hmm. like it was one step at a time, like an instruction manual. No, it's not an instruction manual like that, even though it says that it's for serious beginners. <laughs> and the serious beginner, that's actually not a good translation out of what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa actually meant. A better word would be uh, uh, Anapanasati, a practice for enthusiastic beginners. I see. Eager beginners. 
eager those to do this. really going to go into it without that serious quality of working too hard. That right. when you're serious about something, it's a whole lot more work than when you're doing it enthusiastically. So this is a word that has a lot to do with one's right effort. Is do it enthusiastically, doing it eagerly rather than doing it seriously. Yeah. Um, to be fair, my practice hasn't felt like a, a chore in in a long time. Like I enjoy sitting. I, I'm looking forward to each sitting as well. Um, what, what I have a very specific question regarding the first two kind of steps. I know they're not uh, uh, steps as in you need to complete the first step to get to the second step and the third step. Um, but Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa says um, making the breath long and making the breath short. Uh, is this done intentionally or are you waiting for the breath itself to become uh, like that? Like, are you intentionally changing the breath and the longitude of the breath? The language that you're using indicates the answer is already there in front of you. Change. I don't see it. It's <laughs> got to be done. It's got to be making it. It's that how is the breath going to change to a long breath? Just because you're thinking about long breath, hoping that the breath is going to become long. No, you've got to do something. Mm. You have to mindfully breathe in long. You have to seize that object. Now, here's something quite interesting, and that is to say that in order to take a long, deep breath, you're training not the body, you're training the mind because it's the mind that's controlling the breath and it's also the mind that's controlling it when there is not much to it or let us say um, subconscious or ignorant breathing. So if we're going to be mindfully breathing, we're not going to breathe the same way that we uh, were breathing when uh, we were breathing ignorantly. If mindful of breathing and ignorant breathing are the same thing, then what's the bother? What's the point? Mm. Another interesting issue is, is that when you are just watching the breath or just noting it, then the mind will run away to go note something else. The monkey mind will just jump and jump and jump and jump. But if you are mindfully applying when you're taking the effort to stay with that shanti, to continue to investigate, is this a long, deep breath or not? Putting those three things together into one operation, right um, effort, right view, or right looking, and right uh, sati to remember to look over and over again is an action. It's an mm -hmm. activity. It's changing the way that we used to do it. And when you're practicing that way now the mind is in gear to watch the body breathing right here right now so now our thoughts are wholesome because we're looking at something that's happening right here right now in front of us just breathing where the ordinary meditator who's watching the breath his mind is going to go off into the future or into the past and he is not able to um uh, see that happening, that jump. 
is done mindlessly. Why? Because he's watching his breath mindlessly. Mm. If he is mindfully watching his breath, which means controlling the breath, then if the mind wanders away, it's easier to catch it. I see. And it's not so likely to wander away. Now, the other point is, is that when we are watching the body breathe, we're in the here now. Mm. We're not in the past. We're not into the unwholesome uh, futures and other places and other things and other problems that we worry about. There's no worry because all we're doing is watching the body breathe right here, right now. And by now using these two features of mindfully breathing long in-breaths and mindfully breathing long out-breaths, while we're talking and thinking about what the body is doing, we're also intentionally going to be gladdening the mind or perking it up in the sense of finding what's useful, valuable, and wholesome about the breathing that we're doing now so that we can begin to experience the body. So that's the third step of Anapanasati is watching what the body is doing. And what we're actually going to be watching and looking for is tensions, sensation, Mm. what's happening with the body, what's happening with the hands. And so when we're just sitting there still, we can feel the the, the, the sensations of the hands. But when we're out in the world, we can still pay more attention to what the hands are doing than the object that we're holding. Almost always when we're carrying something, we're thinking about the object that we're carrying. So if you've got a suitcase by the handle, you're thinking about the suitcase and how heavy the the suitcase is, rather than paying attention to the hand carrying the suitcase. Okay. To the sensation. Right, the sensations of the fingers, the sensations of the hand. So this now is the Anapanasati is paying attention to what the body is doing. And so the more often we're practicing what the body is doing and paying attention to it, the more in the present moment that we are. Mm -hmm. When we're thinking about the suitcase as being heavy, then we often think about where we're taking the suitcase and how heavy it is and all kinds of contents in the suitcase and all of that. But when we're thinking about the hand and holding the, the suitcase, now we can feel the touch and the sensations If the hand is getting tired. Maybe we can set the suitcase down for a second. We don't have to be in a hurry to go anyplace. We can be relaxed. And so this also is what we can do is we can, uh, if we're mindful of the thoughts that are carrying, or the mind that's carrying these thoughts, then we can set those thoughts down. And so this is what we're looking for, is is to gladden the mind, to set these objects down, to pay attention to the gladdening of the mind, and to recognize that we do gladden the mind, that we can gladden our spirit. And by having gladdening, wholesome thoughts, we begin to feel the way that we're talking. Mm. That in fact, a good thing, a good way of looking at it is, is that we people have been talking ourselves into feeling bad our whole lifetime. Now it's time to talk ourselves into feeling good. 
That's the gladdening of the mind. Step 10 of Anapanasatra. As we're looking at the body, and as we're looking for the body, we're also looking at the gladdening in the sense of softening or relaxing the tensions in the body so that the body will relax. We're also softening the tensions in the mind so that the mind will relax. And then the mind and the body operate in a pincer movement on both sides to start working on the feelings. So the that's the fourth. We're gladdening the mind and uh, relaxing the body so that we begin to feel good. We begin to feel safe, mm. we begin to feel secure, especially if we're talking ourselves into right here, right now. Everything is safe. Everything is secure. I'm looking at the body and saying, and it is comfortable. So safe and secure and comfortable brings on that feeling of satisfaction, the feeling of liking. So we're beginning to control the way that we feel I see. by talking ourselves into it and by relaxing the body. So we work together on these two things. It's so, a positive feedback loop, so to say. It, it is a positive feedback loop. And so as we're doing this, by having positive, wholesome thoughts and gladdening the mind, the mind in that point of time is free from the hindrances. While we are applying the mind to the wholesome and then sustaining those wholesome thoughts, we're adding another couple of factors in to keep applying to the wholesome to keep applying to the safety and security and keep sustaining that. And as we continue to do that, applying and sustaining the wholesome, we begin to feel safe and secure and satisfied, which is now means at this point in time, we're actually free from dukkha. Mm. And we know that because we can see it because we're paying attention to it. And we tell ourselves about it. This is nice. I can do this. I am, in fact, feeling pretty good right now. Oh, that feels so good. Yes. And here's where we add another ingredient that's on the Eightfold Noble Path. And that is the Sama Sankapa, or our attitude. Because we spend our lives starting in childhood. The child is a victim. The child has to be nurtured and taken care of or it'll die. The child has to do what his parents are telling him to do or he's going to get a spanking. And so we're victimized by our society. When you're the reason why mothers hold the little child's hand and the child's got his hand up in the air like that. But when you're an adult, you don't need someone holding your hand to help you to steady. You could do that on your own. And as you're practicing Anapanasati and it gets steady, we come out of our victim's attitude into the attitude of the winner. The lion. I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. I can feel good. I can be satisfied. Mm. Not satisfied 99% with a little bit of dissatisfaction. No, I can actually just let that one satisfaction, missatisfaction go and come back into a state of satisfaction. As we practice that over and over, a, a kind of a wow sensation comes on mm. uh, the sense of not just satisfaction but the sense of success success can do this 
<laughs> that is Sama Sankapa. That's the right intention. So we're changing our intention from the intention of getting what we want into right noble intention of, I can do this. I can do it again. No matter what happens, I can do it. That in fact, there is a state in the, uh, the student's mind uh, that's in Sutta number 48 in the Kasambian Sutta is where the Buddha talks about that when the student comes to the point that no, that he has the position or the intention or the uh, the winner's attitude, that no matter what comes up in the mind, no matter what obstructions, no matter what hindrances are, I can throw those out and come back and see things the way that they really are. No matter what it is. Sick in the hospital, getting yeah. busted by the cops, Riding in the back of the cop car, mm. in the uh, in the courtroom, at the interview, in jail, whatever obstructions that come into the mind, I can handle that too. Yeah, this kind of attitude doesn't come that hard to me personally, as uh, I've been doing martial arts for like ten or twelve years and. Even even in that kind of environment, they are cultivating this. Who cares? I can I can take this. I can do this. Like yeah, I can take care this. of this. Yeah, exactly. So absolutely, that's it. Feels like coming actually, to this. Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, uh, let us say that that's the Zen influence hmm. on the martial arts from hmm. Japan and China, the yeah. Chan and the Zen and the Shaolin, you've heard all of these words, yes. that's where this attitude is added to the skill of the martial arts when it's being taught. Because as you probably understand, there's right now a whole lot of Russian soldiers who are in the Ukraine that don't have a good attitude about what they're doing and they're not going to be very good at it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how well trained as a, a soldier they were, they weren't trained in the right attitude, that winner's attitude. We can do this. Mm. Okay, That's what's instilled in the martial arts is I can do this. I can yeah. handle that. Okay, Sometimes you got to get your butt beat to recognize that, hey, I can get my butt beat and I can still stand up and get it beat up again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have this feeling like, so I get beat up. So who cares? I can continue. I can I can do this. Like, uh, it's a, uh, it's it's this self-perpetuating kind of mindset. Like all the time, you can do this. Uh, you can it out. Yes. It, once it gets on the roll. Once it gets on but the roll, at first you are the victim. So you say you're making yourself right. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's where the right effort is. Strong effort. Yeah. It needs a lot of effort, but it's still right and correct because it's getting the job done. Later, when we attitude change, now the effort is easier because we've got that intention, we've got that attitude, we've got the skill, and also the skill of the sati of being quick and strong as well as frequent. And so these are the four points that we're putting in together. This right attitude then brings on the uh, the uh, step five of Anapanasati, or let us say uh, object number five, and that is that wow feeling. Wow, I can't do this. 
Okay. Imagine uh, at the uh, Olympics in the hundred yard dash, the winner is three to five steps before the finish line. Mm. And he is well ahead of the pack. As he's going across that finish line, what's the first part of his body that's going to touch that uh, ribbon or that finish line? I would say the foot, but I think it's a trick question. <laughs> right. In fact, he's going to cross that thing with his chest. With the, he's going yeah. to be already with the winter's mentality. Yeah. Okay. Many of the races are so close that you got to keep going even right to the very end because you got that competition. Mm. But once you're ahead of the pack, but in fact, that last step or two may be a slowing down kind of step rather than a continuing to speed up step. Yeah. Because you've already gotten the win. You know that you've won. That's what we're talking about is that knowledge of the victory. And you already begin to experience that. So when a football player makes a touchdown, what does he do? He has a victory dance. Yeah. Okay, that victory dance is the dance of success, the dance of the victory. That's what we're going to be doing mm -hmm. while sitting there quietly on the floor having a victory celebration. Yeah. The word awesome. for that in Polly is pity. Pity, yeah. I see. It's translated wrongly as um, rapture, I think. No. Rapture? Was it rapture? Okay, but look, yeah. yeah, but you can see that, yeah, you might be able to use the word mm. rapture for that, but the Christians have stolen that word and have their own use for it. Yeah, since English is but, not my native language, I it doesn't ring a bell to me. Like rapture is the first time I've seen this word. The first time I've seen it is in uh, in Buddhism. So yeah, mm -hmm. it doesn't okay. have a meaning for uh, that's related to Christianity specifically for well, me. Think, yeah. think of it then as wrapped in the victory. Mm -hmm. Wrapped up in the victory for the for that moment. It feels so good that it's almost overwhelming. This is when you get to the first jhana, basically. That's the first jhana. Okay. When yeah. you have all of these factors together that I've been mentioning in order yeah. of freedom from the obstructions and hindrances because we've applied the mind and sustained the mind on the wholesome, giving the body to relax, allowing the feeling of safety, security, comfort, mm. and success to arise. And we do that over and over and over again, and then success and the knowledge of success and the pity arises. And this is the qualities of the first jhana. These are the gathering of the factors together. This is why it's called samadhi, not because we're concentrating. We're not, not once have I talked about concentration. Yeah, uh, I read somewhere that the value put on concentration, uh, specifically in TMI, but also in probably in other uh, Samadhi kind of books, is that it's overblown. Like, um, it, you don't exactly. need to have this. It's not just overblown, but it is actually, an act, uh, in some ways, just the opposite of what we're trying to do. <laughs> because concentration means that we're really working to working, focus on yeah. Right. 
Um, an, an example is that the teacher gets really angry at the kid, grabs the kid by the arm, and hauls him off into the principal's office. The kid is struggling, but the teacher is concentrating on holding his hand mm -hmm. so he can't escape. Right? That's concentration. Yeah. Uh, another example of concentration is concentrated frozen orange juice. Okay. But nobody drinks frozen concentrated orange juice. They take the water out of it for transportation. Mm. You want the, the the orange juice to be not concentrated when you drink it. You want to put water and ice in it, which now makes it more complete. That's when it's samati. So I in see. this way of using concentration, concentration is exactly the opposite mm. of samati. Another way of looking at it is concentration means that you're taking that you're uh, ignoring a whole lot of stuff and focusing on just one object or just one thing. Right? Well, Anapanasati has a whole lot of objects and we've got to seize them all and put them together. But there is no so order I, in seizing them. Well, I just gave you the order. Yeah. Because it's a natural order, mm. not an order that's listed in the sutta, in the Anapanasati sutta. So, could we link this like to, it. to dependent origination where one thing depends upon the other thing to happen and it, for example, pity can't arise if there is a hindrance, there's for no, example. Right, right. And pity can't arise if there's no sukha. And mm -hmm. sukha cannot arise when the mind has unwholesome thoughts right. and there's no gladly. Okay. Okay. I see. So, yes, there are dependencies here. And if that dependency is ignorant, then whatever we feel, if, for instance, if we if we have the feeling of liking, but it's an ignorant liking because we're not practicing at all, then the mind, ignorant mind, will go to, I like it, therefore I want it. I want it. Yeah, I want to keep it. Yeah. And I want to keep it. And so this happens with meditation students, and they get a, a first jhana, and then they lose it. And now their their feeling is I liked it, I want it, and I don't have it. Mm. So instead of going back to liking, they're in now in a state of not liking because they don't have what they want. Yeah, uh, we are not taught, I guess, to just relax uh, into it. Uh, we are taught to bring in more effort to the table, try harder. If something doesn't mm -hmm. succeed, try harder. All um, right, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh -huh. um, I actually said that to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa when I uh, was very new at Watson Mok, and he laughed at me, and he says, no. Because this is probably the first time he'd ever heard that, that English statement of if at okay. first you don't succeed, try, try again. And he says, no, if at first you don't succeed, look at what you're doing. Yeah. Look at what you're doing. If you look at what you're doing when you're trying, then you'll figure out a way of getting it correct. Taking the right effort once you see what you're doing is not correct. Now you can make corrections to it, which is your right effort. And then you can enjoy the success of having done it correctly rather than the, uh, the failure of trying and trying and trying again.
but that's not taught in these books. It's not, though TMI does mention to have this kind of not uh, judgmental mentality where you um, if if you see the mind caught now, up in something good stuff is in the book, all the good stuff is in the book, but yeah. neither the guy who wrote the book nor the people who read the book quite understand the process. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's in the book, but the it students is. read right through it. Exactly, exactly, get. exactly. Like I've, I've been returning to it and I see, well, why I wasn't doing this at all. Like I was I was being judgmental. I was being pushy. Uh, like I was wanting things uh, ex and experiences and stuff like that. And the book can't correct you. It, it, can, it can. can. Exactly. So, yeah, like uh, or a what, good friend or a good friend. Exactly. Who knows what's going on? So that's how you want to see me. Yeah. You see me as a good friend who knows what's going on. Exactly. As opposed to a teacher, I don't fit the teacher model very well. Ah, this was really, really nice talk, Damarado. Thank you. Uh huh. Um, well, let's let's finish now, and you can yeah. go practice this, and then call me back. Awesome. Uh, right after, or next day, or how? Well, let us say once to twice a week would be a good. Once to twice for all right, all right, awesome. And every few days. You need to practice a few days before you uh, report um, back, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Oh, and then well. call me when you need me. Yeah. Or call me when you don't. Because <laughs> then it'll be even a better conversation. <laughs> I agree. Okay, Alec. Well, it's well, been nice to meet you, and I hope to likewise. see you again soon. Thank you, Damarado. Have a nice day. Take care. Yes, you. You have a nice moment right now. This will right be now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> have a nice moment. Awesome. See ya. Bye.